0: We are in a series right now, a real short one, on Advent, and we've only had, we only had um, uh, three Sundays to go through this, because last week was the banquet. Who was at the banquet? Had a great time? Wasn't that awesome? Wow. Great carpet. You guys notice the carpet? It's probably one of my highlights. Uh, we had a great time eating, celebrating, feasting together as a family. It was, I really enjoyed it. Um, thanks for driving uh, out to Surrey, for you Vancouver folks. I think it was worth it. It's not that far. But Telebridge Bridge is right there. It's right there. We're fine. We'll probably go back there, just FYI. It won't be a surprise next year. <laughs> Worked really well. Um, but we've only had three Sundays together here, uh, and so we've done a, we're doing a series on Advent, and we're unpacking one verse, and it's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and it's one of those classic Christmas verses, and it says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, And there's kind of three aspects to this verse. You've got the virgin birth, you've got a son, and you've got this idea of Emmanuel. And so we're spending one week on each of those things. And last, two weeks ago, I guess, if you remember, uh, we talked about this idea of virgin birth. And why is that so important? A lot of blood and ink has been spilled over this idea of like, no, there's an immaculate conception. It's a virgin birth. Why 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 do people fight for that so hard historically in the church? And it's because if God is not divine, if Jesus isn't divine, uh, he can't pay for our sins. And so people have made a very big deal about the fact that Jesus Jesus was born of a virgin because he has to be divine, because if he's not divine, he can't actually atone for your and my sins. So you can see why the church has made it a really big deal that the virgin birth was a thing. Um, And what we talked about last week is that it's as though this verse is giving us a window into the fulfillment of what are called covenants. Throughout all the Old Testament, there was lots of different covenants that God made. They're almost like iterations of the same covenant. And this verse is is representing some windows into how those things are gonna be fulfilled. So the idea of a virgin birth goes, okay, this future son whom's born of a virgin that will be called Emmanuel, this this new covenant is gonna be built on the idea of forgiveness. And we talked about that last week. It's gonna be built on the atonement of sins. So that's great news. And the reason why it's, forgiveness is a big deal is because it's for relationship. God wants to be with us. It's the whole point. God's actually wanting to dwell amongst us and in you. And so forgiveness is a big deal to allow us to be reconciled. So that's part one of the covenant that we're celebrating actually in Advent. Forgiveness, big part. Today we're gonna to be talking about the idea of a son. Okay, so why Why does this verse really, why does it really matter that there's a son that comes? And in a nutshell, the idea of a son is a nod to the fact that Jesus fulfills the ancient covenants that he was actually going to send someone to redeem the world. The fact that a son came, some of you have heard me talk about the Bible explained in different scenarios and we talk a lot about the he that we're waiting for, right? Right? Actually, all the way back in like Genesis, right after the fall, we get a promised he that's going to come and fix everything, that's going to fulfill all the covenants. And so this son is that he. And so when we celebrate like, oh, he's, he's here, what we're saying is that God is actually faithful to his covenants. Like all the things that he promised throughout the whole Old Testament actually happened. He showed up. Okay? So that's very important for this, the rest of the sermon, because we're gonna just leap off of that fact, okay? Advent is celebrating the he that came to redeem us all. And God was faithful. He, what he promised, he actually came, okay? So this second aspect, if the first aspect of the new covenant is forgiveness, last week, the aspect of the covenant this week is we're talking about he's establishing this new covenant on faithfulness. And we're gonna use that word a lot today. So forgiveness, big deal, faithfulness big deal. He actually does what he said he's going to do. Okay, so what's so great about this is that when we see Jesus, we can see him as the fulfillment of every covenant he's, God had ever made with the people. And I just want to like show you a few of them because it's, it's really neat when you start to go, oh, Jesus is like that and he mean and he's the fulfillment of that and he's the fulfillment of that. So here's a couple of them real quick for you. Um, uh, God God's faithful to do what exactly? First one, big one, bless all the nations. You can put that up there. Yeah. Bless all the nations. That's you and me. God made a covenant with this guy called Abraham that through him and through his family and through his line, all the nations were going to be blessed. All the nations were going to be, like that forgiveness was going to be provided. There was going to be provision. There was going to be blessing. Now, The word blessing gets thrown around a lot. What do we mean when we say blessed? Try to stay with me. This is important. It's not just like I got the things I wanted. Blessing is a much deeper idea than that. Blessing is the, stay with me, the restoring of original calling. So if you're blessed, it means you're like Adam and Eve were before the fall. If you're, a state of blessing is uh where there's nothing between you and God. You're blessed. You have the fullness of his presence. And when you have the fullness of his presence, it means that you're fully secure and known, and you have this really important job of representing him. Like, blessing is a very profound idea. So apparently, all the way back in Genesis 12, God tells this guy Abraham, one day, the whole world will be blessed, restored to original so that's a big promise. And Abraham's definitely tracking with that. It's like, whoa, the whole world? Okay, I wonder how that's going to happen. Uh, fast forward. Galatians 3, this is the New Testament now. Here's how Jesus fulfilled it. Galatians 3, verse 29. Paul says this to the Galatian church. He says, and if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Meaning, if you're in Christ, and if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, that blessing That thing that he was promised to Abraham, that's yours in Christ. Full restoration, full reclaiming of original calling and as an image bearing of God, like it's a very beautiful idea. So Paul is telling the new church, hey, if you're in Christ, Abraham, you're in his family, basically. You're part of his family that's gonna be blessed. Super cool. Here's another one. The Mosaic covenant to make us holy God promised to Moses, if you guys remember the big Sinai scenario, uh, he promised on that mountain that he was going to make for himself a people that were holy and that were his treasured possession, and that they were like his. They were his people. And in order for that to be possible, he had to make a way for them to actually be close, right? So then we've got this whole sacrificial system that gets set up. If you guys have ever read in the the, the bowels of Deuteronomy and Leviticus of just going, oh my goodness, this is complicated. Uh, It's some heavy reading. But what he's doing is he's setting up uh, a way to make people holy through the law so that God can actually dwell amongst Israel, amongst his people. Very, very beautiful. He's promised to make make people holy. And he says, if you obey me and you keep my covenant, you will be a treasured possession, a holy nation. So this has a lot to do with forgiveness. There's a way, there's a way to actually be forgiven and in God's presence and be holy and clean and pure. These are really big things we're celebrating, if you've noticed. Like full-on restoration of calling. Whoa! Original calling. Wow. Okay. Part two, full forgiveness and, and complete purification of our hearts and consciousnesses <laughs> says, uh, to allow God to dwell in us. Uh, 1 John 1.9 says this, another New Testament verse, just so you know, and I'm making it up. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what he is going to do. Wow. Okay. More fulfilling of covenants. One more. Rule the world. This new he is completely and totally in charge and has all power forever. That's the person who's also saving you. So when Jesus comes, he defeats death and brings peace eternally. And, uh, you know, the, the prophets are, you know, the, the, the last half of, um, of, the, of the Old Testament. They're really hoping for this guy because... I said Davidic covenant, right? Yeah. God promised David, hey, one day there's going to be a king and your kingdom will be established forever. Like the throne in Jerusalem, so to speak, will be established forever. Your kingdom's going to last forever. God promises David that. And so, I mean, you're looking and there's an exile and you're starting to think, hmm, that don't really seem like that happened. And so the prophets are going, ah, you said the kingdom was going to last forever. You said that there was going to be a king that came that wins. That wins and defeats like death and all our enemies, everything. Where is this guy? And you get another Christmas verse from Isaiah. You'll, rep- you'll recognize this one Isaiah uh, 9, 6 to 9. This is them crying out for what we have, <laughs> or prophesying that it's going to happen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. You can hear them You can, like, hear the hope and longing in their voices. It's eh? just like, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will, be called, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on until, for, like, until forever. And they're, they're just, is somebody going to come and win and defeat all the evil and death and, Longing for it. That's what Christmas is about. And Jesus comes and actually does that. Okay. So just a quick translation, in case that was all a little bit too Old Testament for you. Jesus made a way for everything humanity has ever truly longed for. Jesus has made a way for everything we've ever needed or longed for. And what I mean is, we are fully significant, meaning we're satisfied with our calling. This is the restoration of calling. We're fully secure. God provides everything, means of forgiveness, blessings, and it's eternal. It's forever. Like there's a winner. It's not just some temporal blessings and some temporal happiness and some temporal relationship. It lasts forever. Like you can't, I mean, you're going to have to take my word for it. Maybe you could pick it apart if you want to, but to be eternally secure and loved and known and accepted and internally important and satisfied in your calling. Like, I don't know. You guys got something better than that? That's like, Anyways, that's what the good news is. He's here. That's here and apparently accessible now. Okay, you're probably wondering, and this is the tension point of the sermon, I suppose, is how are these realities actually experienced? Okay? So I feel insecure all the time, and insignificant all the time, and I feel, I don't know what the opposite of eternal is. I'm getting old. My back hurts. I don't know. But um, you don't feel like you're living in these realities all the time, right? I don't. And I can easily imagine a world that's super confused by our Christmas celebrations. Like, you're seemingly celebrating some good news whose evidence I see little to nothing of. Like, where is the evidence of this faithfulness you're singing about? Where? Where is it? Where is it? And they'd be right to point and go, where? I don't... It's hard to see. Okay. So, here's what's important to know. How God relates to humanity... How he relates to humanity in the Old Testament and now is he's a God of faithful love. This is who he is, faithful love. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is chesed, and you've got to clear your throat. It's real fun to say chesed. And so when you look at the Old Testament and you see the word love, or you see like faithfulness, or you see, it's, it's all translation of the word chesed. And what it means is, you need like 10 words to describe it as is, the case in Hebrew sometimes, hesed is like faithful, covenantal loyalty because you're loved. It's like a super deep word. So when you say, I love you, it's I'm committed to the covenant I made with you forever, and I will be loyal to it no matter what. Like, that's what I love you means. It's very profound and deep. So this is the God that we have. He's faithful. He's a God of hesed to you and I. Okay, and what's interesting is that the fruits of his faithfulness, like the fruits, the covenant promises, all the blessings, all the things, uh, they seem to be only experienced when we're faithful. Look at look at the, look at just read the Old Testament. The whole thing that's going on is God's faithful, and then the people aren't, and then they don't experience. The fruits of the covenant he's made—it's which just happens over and over and over again. That is Israel's journey: is they're not faithful, and then they don't experience the fruits of the faithfulness, all the blessings, all the things. So that's what happens: is he's a god of hesed; they don't have any hesed, and then they don't experience who he is at all. That's what happens in the Old Testament, over and over and over again. Okay. So, if we're unfamiliar, with a biblical understanding of what faithfulness is, this can lead to some confusion because it could seem like God abandons his people. What kind of loving covenantal loyalty is that? Like, he seems to be often leaving them. He seems to often be not around. Like, you've got exiles. You've got 400 years of silence. You've got Egyptian slavery. You've got all these long seasons where God is seemingly absent. And... Yet he's a God of covenantal loyalty. What does this mean? How do we reconcile this? So it's important to understand how faithfulness, it's just such a deep word. Like, if you're, if you're wondering if you want to pay attention today, the, the goal is to understand what the word faithfulness really means. That's where we're going. Because if you catch it, it's really hard to forget it. And I find that that word just kind of skips over the top. It's like, oh, come, are you faithful? And we don't really... Uh, what do you mean faithful? What is, what is faithfulness? So it's very important that we understand the way he's relating to his people, and it's with this thing called faithfulness. So maybe you feel like you hear lots about how God is faithful, but you're looking at your life, and there seems to be some evidence of the contrary. So what does faithfulness actually mean? What does faithfulness actually mean? It's very important we understand this. Okay, here it is in a nutshell. Here it is in a nutshell. Faithfulness is keeping a covenant regardless of the other person's performance. It's keeping your end of the deal, and you're not taking them into consideration when you're deciding whether to be loyal or not. Your decision doesn't, I mean, it has everything to do with them because you love them, but in some sense, it has nothing to do with them because you've made a decision to be loyal. Regardless of reciprocation, understanding, that's what faithfulness is. So this doesn't mean the other person is allowed to do whatever they want, but it does mean that you're faithful of is a decision that happens in your own heart, irrespective of their worthiness or reciprocation. Now, you can see how easy this would be to take advantage of, right? Faithfulness is very easy to take advantage of. But that, that vulnerability is also necessary. L- listen to this. If both parties are always waiting for the person to be worthy of their faithfulness, it betrays the point of faithfulness altogether. Faithfulness says, I'll go first. Faithfulness says, I'll go, I'll go first. Okay, so marriage, for example, is a covenant of faithfulness where both parties agree, uh, where both parties agree, oh, lost my place, that they will be faithful first, or before, or regardless. If both people are doing this, that's a very safe place to be. Like here, the faithful love you receive is just as much a free decision as the love that you gave was. Think about how safe that is, where both parties are going, I'll go first, and it's like a rush, it's like a race to go first, and you just barely eke out the other person. Isn't that fun? It's like, oh, no, I'll be faithful first. No, I already made the decision. I'll be faithful first. Both parties are doing that, and it's the safest possible zone, right? That's why covenants are so safe. It's because you decided to do something irrespective of them, and then they did it to you back, (laughs) regardless of your performance. It's like the safest possible place. It's beautiful. So this can get a little tricky because what if one person does break it? What if one person does walk away? And you can imagine God gets into this scenario all the time, like every day with you and me. What do you do when you're faithful and the other person isn't? Okay, what this sermon is not on is on like marriage and divorce and all that. Don't, I'm not trying to talk about that at all, okay? The, 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 the comparisons to marriage eventually fall apart. So don't let your mind go there too, too too fast. But we are talking about God and he is always faithful, okay? So... Listen to this 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. This is, this is a confusing one, but it's, it's so interesting. Is it up there? Yeah. Here's a trustworthy saying, says Paul. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Okay, so that's a bit of a brain full. But here's, okay, so here's what disown means. What a terrible word, right? I'm like, oh, disown. My goodness. Here's what it means. Another word would be repudiate, uh, deny. It's to refuse to be in association with. So if somebody says, I want nothing to do with you, what's the most loving thing you can do? Honor their choice, right? If it says, I don't want, I want, I refuse to be associated with you. I disown you it would be unloving to go, I don't care, I'm going (laughs) to be close anyway. Like, no, you don't, that's not how love works. So God is the same way. It's like, well, I mean, if you disown me, because I am love, I do the most loving thing, and it actually means I disassociate with you too. There's all kinds of terrible repercussions for you for that, and for me, actually. It makes me super sad, because I love you. But I actually will honor your choice to disown me. Okay, so... God honors humanity's decisions to reject him, but he remains faithful, for he cannot betray himself. So apparently, he can disassociate, he can honor our decisions to walk away, he can honor our decisions to say no thank you, and remain faithful at the same time. Okay, this is interesting. This is interesting. How does he do that? Okay, God's words that I made up. You've ran off, and I will honor your choice, but I still love you most. You've ran off, I must honor your choice, but I, love y- I still love you most. That's what it sounds like. When God disowns people, which, by the way, was only ever because they left him first, he never went and found a different people. Isn't that so interesting? Israel, I don't know how many times they disowned him. Like, I don't know. Someone's probably counted. It's a lot. He never found a different people that he loved. Like when he said on Sinai, you're my treasured possession, and then they just like betrayed him like five minutes later with the golden calf thing, he didn't go find a new people. He, almost, he, was, like, he was tempted. He's like, man, I'm just going to start over with you, Moses. <laughs> He's like, no, don't. And they have this conversation. It's very fun. Like, no, what will Egypt think? What well, will Egypt think if you, dis, if, you, if you aren't faithful to the people? And God goes, okay, yeah, you're right. All right, we're going we're to work this out. Very fascinating little moment. God doesn't pick a new people. So when you disown him, he doesn't go find someone else. He, there's no other, there's no one else for him. Isn't that profound? So love, this is the first thing we need to know. You can put that up. First thing we need to know is love is God's motive and faithfulness. He loves you most. <laughs> he, that's why he's faithful to you is because he doesn't have another person to go. He's interested in you. Just like he was interested in Israel. It's a a, a way of seeing his devotion that now is true for each one of us in this new covenant of faithfulness that that's possible through the son. That's why it's so exciting. That's why it's so profound. It's like, okay, a son came. Yeah, yeah, a son is born. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. That son is fulfilling a promise that the way Israel was so faithfully treated is the same way that we are now treated. That's good news. That that's, he doesn't want anybody else. He wants you and I. Whew. So what do we do with that? Like it feels so foreign, I find. When you start to wrestle with like the character of God and it starts to just become clear to you, like whoa, like that faithful. It feels really foreign is the word I wrote down. Because we don't, we've not been modeled the kind of faithfulness that God has in this world, very well. Hey, you can see pockets of it. You can. You can see. You can see some loyal marriages. Thank. Thank the Lord. I mean, we have, and you can see some some covenantal friendships, and you can see the church even like the church sometimes like it stays together even though it should fall apart. Like you can you can see some glimpses of it, but by and large, we haven't been taught. How, We haven't been taught the kind of faithful that God is very well. We don't see it very often. We have, we introduced this word last week, kind of a fancy word, what we have are called meritocracies. Right, Levi? Meritocracies. And uh, what that is, is whoever gets to have our trust and whoever we decide to follow and whoever we decide to be quote unquote faithful to is the person who deserves it most. It's kind of how our world operates, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, with human relationships, I highly recommend, if you want to mitigate pain and uh, betrayal and all those kinds of things in your heart, um, I highly recommend just living your life with meritocracies and just putting people in charge who you deem worthy of the role. That's an option. We hedge our bets to mitigate damage, ensure we're loved on our terms. It's always nice when we get to pick the terms of how we're loved, at least initially. So, we learn that here amongst our relationships, and then we treat God in the same way. And that's the, where the problem comes. That's where the problem comes for you and I, because we need, uh, we learn meritocracies here, where we go, okay, are you worthy of it? Are you worth it? We learn that here, and then we go, hey, God, are you? Are you worth it? Like, are you going to do the things that I needed you to do and want you to do? And we start to put that on him. Now, man, here's what's so crazy, and this is what I have to wrap my head around at Christmas time every year, and it's really hard, is we have someone who's actually faithful and never fails at that. You have someone who loves you, who never fails He's never dangerous, or it's never a bad idea to trust him. Never. That is so eerily solid. <laughs> it freaks you out. It's like, you mean it's always, you mean he's always leading me and guiding me and nudging me towards what is best for me, personally designed for me, and it's eternal. That's what he's always doing. It's so solid. And it's scary because when you, when you start to realize that that's what God is, or Jesus is presenting you with, like he's presenting you with that kind of covenantal loyalty that's accessible to you right now, it starts to freak me out a little bit because you know that faithfulness in return is the only possible logical thing you would do next. Does that make sense? It scares me when God starts to reveal himself to me as someone that faithful, because you know that that almost demands a loyalty in return, a faithfulness in return. Anything less, when you see him for who really is, giving anything less back than faithfulness feels really bizarre. It wouldn't work. And so I think we keep God's the epicness and all-encompassingness of God's faithfulness just a little bit at bay because if we saw it, you would fall head over heels and you would be out of control in surrender to something that solid and beautiful and good. And that's a scary feeling. It's like falling off a cliff. Imagine, imagine if you're at a wedding ceremony, like the two people are standing up here, and somebody, one of the two parties, says, I will love you for the rest of my life to the best of my ability, regardless of your performance. And then the other person says, we'll see. Right? Like, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> that is what we do to God all the time. We just go, yeah, we'll see. That's a super great offer. And what we do is we're not seeing his character we're wondering whether he's going to come through in the ways that we've imagined we need somebody to come through for us. So yeah, we'll see. But he's going, "Uh, I'm offering you myself. I'm offering you myself and I will always be with you. I will always be close. I will always be in proximity. (laughs) So my point here is that faithfulness is the only appropriate response to faithfulness. Right? Like you say, you just, the vows are identical, <laughs> you know? They're making the same vows, or are making the same claim both directions. It's the only thing that makes sense. So, what we have yet to answer is why is God's faithfulness only experienced when we're faithful? Why are the blessings always on the other side of faithfulness in return? Why is he okay with that? Why was he okay with exile and Babylon and silence and distance and letting enemies overrun Israel when they worshipped idols and like why is he why is faithfulness always the thing that unlocks I hate that word but is the thing that comes before his blessing? Okay. Here's my kind of my best attempt to summarize it in a sentence. A faithful heart, oh man, I hope you guys get this. I know this is like deep and we're talking about faithful, but if you can get it, like if you can get how faithful God is, it changes your life because you respond in kind. A faithful heart can be blessed because it's surrendered to love and it doesn't require blessings to stay faithful. A faithful heart can can be blessed lovingly because it doesn't need them it doesn't need the blessings it just needs the other person it just wants the other person it's almost like love is the thing going on in the gospel it's almost like loving relationship is the thing that God actually wants with people go figure we say it all the time and then you start to wrestle with it and go oh like actually that's what's going on like oh you really wanted Israel's heart of course you did And then we get a little annoyed being like, okay, well, I mean, yeah, God, I know you want my heart and stuff, but I want you to do all of these things. And he's like, man, I'd love to bless you, but those aren't the things you need. You need me. Now, when you know me, there's all kinds of blessings that come along with being faithful to me. Because of course, because I'm God and I accomplished all the stuff we talked about earlier. Security, significance, eternity, death, done, all that. I'm the gateway I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus speaking. It's through me. Whoever whoever loves me knows God, (laughs) like forever. It's a kingdom of relationship and love. We call it the kingdom of love all the time. No, it really is. Whom you love most really is. Whom you're faithful to most really is the gateway into the kingdom. He really has built it on affection and loyalty and faith. It's really what the structure is held together by. So I think about about Steph. I think about my marriage. I'm faithful to Steph, a real person, right? I'm faithful to a real person. I don't think about the blessings of our relationship much anymore. I think about her, right? It'd be weird if I'm like, what are all the blessings that Steph provides for me? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, that one, and yeah. Like, what? No. Like, I think about her. Like, my soul loves something more than itself. That's a profound moment where you're like, oh, I think I love you more than me. I think the blessings don't matter anymore. Whoa. Whoa, I think I am experiencing what it's like to faithfully love someone. Like, she's enough. The blessings, for sure, are all there, but it's like, kind of don't care, actually. (laughs) In a sense. So, remember, the plan for redemption for you and I is the willful re-choosing of God as our ultimate lover and conqueror of our souls, right? Like, that's the plan for redemption, is you re-choose him as your ultimate love and affection and leader. That's what redemption is. And so that's what's being offered to us. Now, a faithful heart has a person, has found a person whom it will never forsake. That's what a faithful heart has done. A faithful heart has learned of its, intent, of its intended object of devotion. A faithful heart is motivated by the love for a person. A faithful heart no longer requires proof to remain engaged. A faithful heart has been changed. A faithful heart looks like God's heart. Our faithfulness looks like his And then we find ourselves saying, there's nobody else for me. You find yourself saying things like, there's no one else for me. This is a song from the 80s, I think. There's no one else for me. It just sings over that, over and over again. I just, that is what a saved heart is like. So, final thing. Jesus is faithful to you so that you can be faithful to him. Let's be real clear that he started it. (laughs) Let's be real clear that he's the one who empowers us to do so. Let's be real clear that he's the one who's come 100% of the way and he's walked all the way to the altar. He's walked all the way. And he's made a way for you to walk all the way down the aisle. Freely so. Blemish, spotless bride, right? Oh, these images get so deep and profound and beautiful. But he's faithful to you so that you can be faithful to him. So that's the only possible response is to go, I love you too. Because that's what you need. That's what your heart needs. It's what it was designed to know and do and follow. Thessalonians says this. Listen to this. I don't think it's up there. But listen to this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who called you is faithful and he will do it. The one who's called you is faithful and he will do it. He will keep you spotless and blameless for his coming. He will do that in you when you love him most. So the cosmic question that we'll end with here an Advent, if you're wrestling with a cosmic question What Advent is meant, or I guess the whole gospel, is meant it's meant to ask you basically one question. And it's to whom are you faithful? To whom are you faithful most? Maybe it's nobody, maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's somebody. But to whom are you faithful? That's all the Bible actually cares about. (laughs) It's trying to introduce you to a person whose name is Yahweh. So you can decide. Whether he is worthy of ultimate trust, obedience, affection, and all that faithfulness implies. That's the question that the Bible's asking you. He's trying to introduce you to a person. Like, this is who Yahweh is. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Yahweh. And uh, you've got the God of the Old Testament doing all kinds of things. You've got the Holy Spirit doing all kinds of things in the New Testament. And You've got Jesus doing all kinds of things. And It's all God. It's all the same guy. And it's giving you a picture going, what say you? What say you to this person? So Christmas marks the fulfillment of God appearing to reconcile us to himself so that he can transform us into his likeness. That's the goal. He makes us like him. He turns us back into his image bearers. And here's your, here's your test, okay? Here's your little quick test. Does your faithfulness look like his? There you, can, you can just test it. So his faithfulness, just, it never finds another lover. Even when there's distance. Even when there's a little bit of silence and quietness. And even when things haven't gone quite the way you thought it would. And even when God wasn't exactly who you thought he'd be in this exact moment for you. That never happens in marriage, obviously. But God, I'm just kidding. There's always lapses of the ability to see and understand the blessings that come from relationship. Is there not? Isn't there always lag time? Isn't that what makes it so beautiful anyway? Because you stick it out with people. Do you need constant, immediate feedback on the worthiness of all of your love? No. Of course, there's moments where it doesn't quite line up, and there's a little bit of a gap. And then your little test for whether you're like Christ, I suppose. I don't want there to be an in and out, but it's just a helpful way of thinking. Do I love like he loves? Am I faithful like he's faithful? Do I run off to another lover the second you leave? He doesn't. He never does. He never does. So, conclusion. Does your faithfulness have a person as its object? And perhaps you don't know enough about him yet. You're like, okay, who, Yahweh, what? This is your first time at church. This is a little overwhelming. This guy probably sounds really impressive after this sermon. You're like, okay, I actually want to know who this guy is. You're more than welcome to come on the journey and figure it out. It takes a little bit. You get to introduce to a person and you start to fall in love with them and it's, this character becomes clear and it's a beautiful journey. So I invite you to open your heart. That's probably what you need to do. You just open your heart and go okay, I'm going to get to know someone. Usually it requires a little vulnerability and open heartedness. That's my encouragement to you. This is all new to you. Perhaps you've gotten lost along the way and you're maybe in pursuit of blessings without relationship. Uh, I challenge you to obey him. I challenge you to obey. Put your primary trust, put your primary trust in him and obey him and you'll find affection follows real quick. He's so kind, he doesn't leave us in like this floating around ether of like, what do I do if I don't love him? And it's this existential feelings-oriented journey. And God's like, oh, I got a really clear way of you loving me. I actually gave you some stuff to do that when you do it, loves me so deeply. <laughs> Just do those things. Make disciples. Make disciples. Love your neighbor. <laughs> like, feed my sheep. Like, there's a g- giant list of things that if you don't know what to do and you're wondering whether this is about a person anymore and you kind of just want stuff from him, obey him. And your affections will follow. They will. They do every time. Perhaps you're doing great. Maybe you're doing great and you're like, hey, he's the lover of my soul. Go deeper. Something I'm trying to do is I'm trying to ask him questions. I never ask God questions. I ask questions of people I care about all the time. Like, I ask stuff questions all the time. I want to know her more. Try asking questions instead of learning about him. But the, you see, in, the, in every single... No matter where you are on the journey, learn to be faithful to a person. So, um, as we will land the plane here, I, Christmas Eve is next Sunday, and I would so encourage you in this week, you know, as we like lead up to this moment... Of Where we celebrate the fact that God is faithful, uh, I would encourage you to be wrestling with this with, wrestle this through with him this week we're going like, Lord, I want to be faithful like you 're faithful to me. Teach me how to do that, and your heart will sing with joy every Christmas because it 'll be a reminder of what's become possible and it 'll be another reminder of how of how you 're so glad that He came. Why do we have anniversaries of our marriages. It's like, oh, that's the day that you said yes. Or we have anniversaries the first, like, remember the day I first saw you? And like, they, there's these moments where you're like, oh, that's when you came. And like, ah! That's what Advent is. It's like an anniversary of when the lover of your soul, soul showed up. And uh, man, that's worth celebrating. So I don't to the worship team up. Just also me. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I'm going to pray. And um, Father, I... I thank you that you're faithful to each one of us. You're so good. Lord, I thank you that you didn't run off. You haven't run off anywhere else. You haven't given up on any one of us. The same way that you made a way for Israel at every step of the turn, every time they humbled their hearts, every time they repented, every time they came close, every time they worshiped you, you were there immediately. And that is, the, that is what we celebrate that is possible to us. You're standing at the door. I feel like Jesus is saying to us, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Who will open? I'm there every time. And I will come in and I will dine with you. And I will live with you. And we will eat together. What a beautiful salvation we have. It's not an idea. Lord, thank you that it's not an idea or a value set. You come to indwell our hearts and be with us and be our utmost affection. Help our hearts be faithful. Would your Holy Spirit empower us to be faithful and remind us now of all the things you've done. call Call in our minds the blessings that you do provide, but may they never overshadow you. May they never replace you. May we never be on a quest for those things you do, but be on a quest for who you are. Maybe there's some of us that just need to obey some things in a dry season And I thank you that even in that, you're so kind to let us stand on our own two feet and say, no, I know who my God is and I know who my lover is and I know what to do because he told me. Empower us to do even that. Yeah, thank you for this season, Lord. We love you. Jesus' name, amen.